Those were the questions my new orthopedic doctor asked me this week. Uh, that's what doctors do. They ask questions like that. And he was asking those questions because he was trying to help me with my recent knee injury, trying to find out some ways to help me, which I'm glad he was asking those questions because I want his help. I didn't want him just to have a knee jerk reaction to my knee injury. And the reality is I want him to help because there's been nothing funny about my knee pain. So look, I, I wanted him to ask those questions. I wanted his help. Today is the Sunday after Easter. Now, most of us are not wearing the same get-up that we had last Sunday, right? We had a little Easter clothes on maybe last Sunday. We have different outfits maybe on today. None of us have an Easter egg hunt planned with our family this afternoon. None of us have spent the entire weekend eating chocolate. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not so much on that one, right? No, this is the, the Sunday after the holiday is over. But even though the holiday is over, the story of Easter is not over. It's not over at all. We may have gotten wrapped up with chocolate over last week and maybe even chocolate this weekend, but the story is not about chocolate, is it? There's something more to the Easter story, and so we ask, where did it begin? Where did the whole thing start? And what does the start of Easter have to do with you? What does the origin story of Easter have to do with your marriage? What does it have to do with your parents? What does it have to do with your kids? What does the origin story of Easter have to do with work or school or church or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiancé? What does the origin story of Easter have to do with your voting rights or your gun rights or your upcoming surgery or your vacation plan? What does the origin story of Easter have to do with the new chicken salad sandwich at the Masters Golf Tournament? I mean, come on. What does any of this have to do with anything in our life? What does the origin story of Easter have to do with you right now? Let's see if we can find out. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 20. Peter writes, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus existed. And before the foundation of the world, God's plan was Jesus. Jesus was always the plan. Wasn't the backup plan. Jesus was the plan before the foundation of the world. Now just think about the foundation of the world. Think about creation, if you will. Think about the things that we see in creation. Why do we go stand in the waves at the ocean? Why do we go out and stand on a dock at the lake at sunset? Why do we go stand at the foot of the mountain at sunrise? Why do we do those things? Because there's something about the foundations of the world, there's something about creation that does something to us. There's something about the mountains and the the prairies and the ocean white with foam, it, it does something to our senses that our smartphones can't, that the TV can't, that the computer can't, that the hardware store can't, that the PlayStation can't, that the Ulta store can't, the mall can't. There's something about creation that does something to us. We've all experienced it. And it is rational and it is reasonable 
to look at anything that has been created and to say whatever has been created has a creator. That is reasonable. It's rational. And Christians believe that the creator of the foundations of the world is the one true God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Now, in believing that, that does not mean that Christians don't believe in science. Dr. Stephen Meyer is a former geophysicist. He has his Ph.D. in philosophy of science from the University of Cambridge. And he said this, science done right points to God. Science done right points to God. So whether we're just standing at the ocean or whether we're just standing at the mountains or whether we're studying the makeup of the oceans and the makeup of the mountains, we can stand there and we should stand there and we should look at the wonder of creation. We should look at the wonder and the glory of the skies. We should look at the wonder of the foundations of the world and we should be in awe of the owner and the creator of all we see and all we know. We should be in awe of God. But here's the thing. Creation is not even God's greatest masterpiece. The brushstrokes on God's greatest masterpiece were painted before creation began. This was God's plan. He planned strategically to make himself known to you before you existed. God strategically planned to make himself known to you before anything existed. It was God's plan to make sure that we knew about his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love and his power and his authority, his justice, everything about him. He desired that we would know that before creation began and that we know all of it through Jesus. That was the plan. Before the foundation of the world, God planned not just for Jesus to show up as a baby in a manger, but God planned for Jesus to show up on a cross and be crucified for me and for you. Someone said this, God saw the cross before he created the first star. Prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53.10 shares this message from the Lord. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Before the foundation of the world, God was pleased to plan the crucifixion of his son. Now, someone may say, well, goodness, what a mean, awful, tyrant, jerk of a father to do something like that. But, don't forget the amazing amazing reason that this was the plan. This was the plan because Jesus was going to make himself an offering. Jesus was going to be a substitute. For who? Listen to what Peter says next. But he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Why was God pleased to crush his son? For your sake. For my sake, for for us, this this was the plan. Is there any greater way that God could prove his love for you than by giving up, by substituting his son for you? 
by making sure that your story could change, by making sure that you didn't have to stay empty, that you didn't have to stay under the weight of your sin, that death was not the end of your story. That was the plan. That's what God did. That's how God showed his love. Peter was writing this letter to some discouraged Christians. Why were they discouraged? Well, if you look at historians during that time, it's been noted that one of the things that they would say is this was a time in history where there was a dark cloud of hopelessness over the entire known world. All the philosophies that they had built their lives on, that they had built their careers on, those philosophies were empty. They they didn't hold. The traditions that most of them had known their whole lives, those traditions had all but vanished. Things were different. The religions of the world, they didn't have a whole lot of answers either. There wasn't much they could provide. So during this time in history, people were angry. People were frustrated. People were discouraged. People were afraid. They were tired of hearing bad news. They were even worse. The Christians, they were living thinking, wait a minute, we were promised some peace. We were promised some safety. We were promised some comfort. We were promised some freedom. And they said, but but we're not experiencing that. No, what we're experiencing is inconvenience. We're experiencing discomfort. We're experiencing confusion. We have health issues, and it feels like all of our freedoms are being taken away. The Christians back then were saying, look, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and God seems like he doesn't care. I don't know anyone who thinks like that. You see, this is not a a wasted truth from the Bible. We're not wasting our time here today. The truth that God has for us through Peter was for a group of people who lived in a dark cloud of hopelessness, who were frustrated out of their mind, who wanted lots of things to get back to normal or to at least get better. But none of it was happening. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them. Listen, I I wish I could make all of us believe this, but I can't, but I'm still going to say it. The words of King Solomon have always been true. They are true right now today, and they will always be true until Jesus returns. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. Our frustration today, our discouragement today, our despair and anger and emptiness today is very similar to the people that Peter was writing to. In fact, throughout history, there has been despair and discouragement. And if we're really honest, if we spent 30 seconds reading in a history book, our despair, our discouragement is nothing compared to what our grandparents endured. Nothing compared to what the early Christians endured. We have very little, almost zero persecution. We're just inconvenienced. We just want things to be different. But we're discouraged, it's true. We're frustrated, it's true. And Peter, Peter hears this from the folks. He knows it because Peter's thinking it himself. Man, why are all these things so bad? God do, God, do you care? God, do you care? Peter had that conversation with himself, but that's why he's writing this letter. 
Because when he had that conversation, he started talking to himself. He started preaching to himself. And so from his letter and from the pulpit and from his podcast and any other thing that he was using, he is graciously shouting to Christians, God cares, God cares, God cares. Even before the foundation of the world, God cared for you. That's a promise. That's not a promise for four more years. That's not a promise for 25 more years. That's a promise that before anything existed, God cared for you. God cared for you. That's what Peter wants him to see. And he's also trying to get him to see, hey, don't forget, you are alive after the plan has appeared. The plan from before the foundation of the world, you actually got to see it. You see, generations and generations and generations of people, they have been saying, man, I, I want to see the Messiah. I want to see God do something. Where, where is this message? Why has it come to be? They never saw it. They never saw the Messiah. They never saw the plan appear. The masterpiece of God had not been revealed until a night in Bethlehem. And God on purpose at just the right time burst forth into the world and the plan appeared for hundreds of years they were singing come thou long expected Jesus where are you where are you where are you and then he showed up and that matters it matters this isn't just a Christmas and Easter story it matters that the plan from before the foundation of the world showed up Why? Why does it matter to you? This is what Peter says next. Verse 21. For the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Look, these folks were crazy frustrated. They were crazy discouraged. So in order to help them, Peter wants them to see what God has done. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us, there's something we want God to do. There's something you want God to do with your spouse or your kids or your grandkids. There's something you want God to do with the president or your politicians or your pastor or somebody, something, somewhere. There's something all of us want God to do. And Peter says, look, I'm just like you. There's there's things I want God to do. But to encourage them, he says, I need to help you see what God has done. He was wanting them to see God has made a way for you to believe. God has made a way for you to be a believer. God has made a way for you to be saved. Think of it this way. Imagine you wake up one morning, and I mean, it's dark, and it is pouring down rain. I mean, it's pouring. And you get up, and you get in the car, and you go to work, or school, or the donut shop, or wherever you're going, you know, and you get there, and, and you leave your car, and you get up to the door, and you're soaking wet. And before you get in the door, you know, you shake your jacket off or you shake your umbrella off and then you open the door and like the first person you see, what are you tempted to say to them? Something like this, man, it sure is what out there? Huh? You got masks. I have no idea what you're saying. That's okay. Don't we often say, man, it sure is nasty out there. Have you ever say that? God, it's such a nasty day. Man, it's nasty out there. I mean, we say this. like the first thing we say when we come in the door. Listen, I want to encourage you with something. If you are truly a believer, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, 
then no matter what's happening with the weather, and no matter what's happening with the government, and no matter what's happening with the stock market, and no matter what's happening with your health, there is not a millisecond of your life that is nasty. It's not possible. It's not possible for a Christian to have a nasty day. How? Why? This is how Paul said it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bad weather, voting laws, gas prices, ketchup shortages, whatever you want to put in the blank. Even death itself, sickness, suffering, and death, if you are in Christ, you cannot be separated for a millisecond from Jesus. Therefore, it is impossible for you to have a nasty day. It's not possible. No matter how bad and awful anything that's happening in your life is, as my friend Brad says, it's all icing if it's over hell. It's just icing on the cake because you've escaped hell because you are in Christ, you are a believer, and being a believer changes everything. That's what Peter wants him to remember. He says, guys, 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 I want you to know that your redemption was planned by God before the foundation of the world. Like, this is when it happened. So he's worthy of your trust, even though you feel empty. He's worthy of your trust, even though you feel despair. He's worthy of your trust, even though you're grumbling and you're discouraged and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're confused. He is worthy of your trust. At least for an hour on Sunday morning, God is worthy of your trust. And I know that can be frustrating for for a lot of people, you know. And so I'll just graciously say it again. If you're saved, whatever you're mad about, whatever you're grumbling about, whatever you're blowing social media up about, whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're sad about, whatever is making you feel empty, at least for an hour, you should be able to come here and not grumble and not be afraid and not be discouraged. You should be able at least for an hour to come and say, Behold my God! Seated on the throne, high above every nation and every country. He is my God. He will reign forever, and I am connected to Him. Ain't nothing nasty about that. (laughs) That can't be removed. Now, of course, (laughs) I'd love for you to have more than an hour. I'd love for me to have more than an hour of that, right? We'd love for this to be a launching pad. And look, that doesn't mean don't bring your junk here. Bring your junk here. Really, like bring your junk, sit down and go, man, God, here's my junk. Will you help me behold you? You help me see you. Peter wanted them to remember that in and through and because of Jesus Christ, they had every reason to be confident in God. And then he tells them why. That's the next part of verse 21. God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Here's why you should be confident in God today, no matter what you're facing this afternoon, tomorrow, three weeks from now, or 30 years from now. You should be confident in God because the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The story is not over, just the holiday. The story is never over. 
So from time to time, people tell my youngest son he looks like me. Bless his heart. I, I feel bad for you. Sorry, Holden. I love you, buddy. And here's the thing. Let's just say that we're in a court of law, and, and the judge wants me to prove that he's my son. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to look at the judge and go, judge, I mean, come on, you see it, right? I mean, it's here. You know, he, he's my boy. You know, you know that, right? No. No, I'm going to have to to offer some type of proof, like a birth certificate or some other kind of documentation to prove that he's my son. Listen, when God raised Jesus from the dead, when God glorified Jesus, what God did was eternally certify with a loud voice, this is my son. If you're confused about the religions of the world, if you're confused about whether or not this is a fairy tale or this is made up, please understand this. God said, this is my son through the empty tomb with no confusion. And because that's true, that means if you're a believer, you have this amazing promise. And what's that promise? Well, Paul said it like this to the Corinthians. He said, hey, death, Death, can you hear me? Death, question, where's your victory? Death, where is your sting? And then he went on to say this, thanks be to God that we have the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the promise of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ deposits victory into a believer's account at the moment of death, but not just at the moment of death. God raising Jesus from the dead, God glorifying Jesus, means that your account with God is changed right now. It means that right now you have victory in every moment of your life. So what does that look like in in real life, so to speak? Well, someone put it kind of like this. See, sin will come to you, And sin will say, YOLO, hey, you only live once. So come on, let's let's eat, let's drink, let's let's be happy today because you might die tomorrow. Or sin will come to you and say, hey, you know what? Go ahead, be mad, be angry, be frustrated. Fight for your rights today because you might die tomorrow. Or sin might say, hey, you know what? Be afraid, be apathetic. Be arrogant. Just stay at home. You know, just, just stay. Keep watching TV. Keep playing games on your phone or your computer. Just, just hang out. Just make yourself happy. Entertain yourself today because, I mean, you might die tomorrow. But the gospel, when it captures our heart, it helps a Christian to be able to say this to sin. Hey, sin, what about the day after tomorrow? What about then? Because if I build my life on you today, on what you're promising me today, if I build my life in that direction, that means the day after tomorrow, like if I die tomorrow, like you say, the day after tomorrow, I'll be dead and I'll still be with you. And so a believer can say this, sin, here's what I'm going to do. Because God raised Jesus, because God glorified Jesus, What I'm going to do is I'm going to build my life today on Jesus. And then if I die tomorrow, at worst, it'll be a momentary sting. And then on the day after tomorrow, I'll be with Jesus and I'll be alive forever. 
That's the promise of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why God raising Jesus from the dead matters so much. He raised Jesus from the dead. He glorified Jesus, and Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead, and why should we believe any of that? Because the tomb is empty. The tomb of Jesus is empty. But where did all of that start? All of this started before the foundation of the world. All of it. Everything started before the foundation of the world. So back to our question. What does this have to do with you? What does the origin story of Easter have to do with your marriage and your parents and your kids? What does it have to do with work or school or church? What does it have to do with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiance? What does it have to do with you know, your voting rights or your gun rights or your vacation plans or your upcoming surgery or the new chicken salad sandwich at the Masters Golf Tournament? What does it have to do with anything? What does the truth of the gospel have to do with your life? Peter's going to try to answer that question. Look at the next part of verse 21. God's done all of this so that your faith and hope are in God. Before the foundation of the world, God made a plan, and the plan was Jesus. And Jesus appeared at just the right moment in history, and when he appeared at just the right moment in history, he did something. He made a way for you to be saved. He made a way for you to be a believer. And God did all of that so that your hope, your faith, would be in God. Not in me, not in this church, not in our country, not in our world, not in your bank account, not in your health, not in anything else. That your faith and your hope would be in God. Now, let's think about what we think about when we think about hope, right? When we think about hope, what do we usually say? We say, man, I... I hope my guy wins the tournament, you know. I hope, I hope our team wins. I hope I make the team. I hope I do good on that quiz at school. I, I hope the, the results from the doctor are, are good. And, and, and really what we're, it's more of a wishing, right? We're hoping something might, we hope something might happen. But that's not the hope that Peter's talking about. Peter's talking about a completely different hope. He's talking about a hope that's actually alive. A hope that can't disappoint a hope that can't fail. This is the, the hope that he's unpacking. It's a hope that will bring you intoxicating, unending, satisfying love, grace, mercy, peace, safety, forever and ever and ever. Yesterday, today, and forever. How? What kind of hope are we talking about? Well, Peter said it. He said our hope is ultimately in God. So therefore, our hope, our hope becomes something completely different. See, our hope is now in the infinite God. God is the only one who's infinite. Only one. The only one. Yesterday afternoon, I, I rode by a cemetery where lots of my friend's parents have been buried. It's the cemetery where my parents have their plots. We're not infinite. None of us are. God is infinite. He was, and He is, and He is to come. 
This is who God is. So how do we get connected to the one who was and is and is to come? We get connected through the risen Savior. It's why this is not a holiday. It is our story. It's the only story we have. It's the only story that matters for our souls, that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Peter wants them to get this. He wants them to remember, hey, Jesus, he actually was dead. He really was in a tomb. But then he didn't stay dead. He was risen from the grave. Jesus conquered death. So, if today your first and primary allegiance is to believe in and trust in and rely on and cling to Jesus as your ultimate source of hope, it means that you've been rescued and redeemed and saved, and it means that you now have a hope that is certain. I mean certain, certain, certain. None of us are certain about what will happen two hours from now. We aren't certain what will happen four days from now. Goodness, we aren't certain what will happen four seconds from now. We're not certain, but we can be certain about this. Jesus is alive. God raised him from the dead. See, here's the thing that we have when we talk about having hope in Christ. Hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is not in a building. It's not in a a human person. Our hope is in this one unbelievable, amazing thing. And the Bible uses this language. It's the power of an indestructible life. There was never a millisecond that Jesus was going to stay in the grave. He was always indestructible. And today, Jesus is alive, and he's promised that for those who repent and believe that he's alive, that they will live forever. They'll live forever. That's that's not a country song, okay? It's the promise of Jesus who existed before the foundations of the world, and why should we believe this? We should believe it because the tomb is empty. Not because somebody stole his body, but because Jesus was risen from the grave and Jesus is alive. It's our hope. Our hope is connected to this one moment in history where Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. But why did he die? Why did Jesus die? He died to bring you to God. That was it. He was the offering. He was the substitute. He died to bring you to God. To God, and He's like the only way. There's not like another way. Look, you can graduate and get a great job and have a good job with good benefits and have a fantastic house, and Chip and Joanna Gaines can come decorate it for you, and man, your kids can go to great schools and get great jobs with great benefits, and, and everybody can have great hair and great Easter outfits, but none of that will bridge the gap between you and God. Be done by Jesus. There is no other hope beyond. Jesus. He died to bring you to God, and he is risen from the grave so you'll know this is no fairy tale. This isn't some joke. This isn't even a religion. So, have you been brought near to God? Have you been brought near to God? If you haven't, then we would plead with you, come to Jesus today. 
right now is the greatest time to come to Jesus. Right now. Right now. You don't need me to come sit next to you, hold your hand and pray. Right now, your heart can say, God, save me. And if it's not right now, 30 seconds from now is a great time to come to Jesus. An hour from now is a great time to come to Jesus. Just just don't ever think that the risen Savior is not waiting to save and redeem. To come to Jesus means that you will have hope that will not lose power. If your team loses, if the test results are terrible, if you fail your quiz, no matter what happens, your hope in Jesus can never be taken away because the power of the hope of Jesus is in God who raised him from the grave. Now, what does this look like in real life? The video earlier that we saw talked about all the the things that empty us out in life that we have this feeling of feeling empty, of despair, of discouragement. Christina Fox is a wife and a mom and a counselor. and She had a season where she was full of despair and discouragement. In fact, so much so that she knew the right answers. She knew what she was supposed to do. She knew all the things that were supposed to happen. But they didn't work. She could not get out of the pit. So she's talking to her pastor one day and And he just said this. He said, you know, what I'm not hearing is how you're relying on what Jesus has already done for you. And she said her first thought was, I don't need theology right now. Come on. I'm depressed. I showed up here so that you help me with my depression. Why why in the world are you talking about what Jesus did? Come on. But that was his answer for her that day. And there wasn't a choir of angels that sang to her that day. There wasn't a dove that flew down from heaven and landed on her head. But a seed was planted. And on that day, that seed began to grow. And about three months later, Christina said, I found my joy and I found my hope again. Why? Because she quit focusing on what she wanted God to do. And she started focusing on what God had done. This is what she said. The insidious thing about depression and despair is the way they strip away hope. The word insidious, it it means like a slow, marching, treacherous danger. That's that's what despair and discouragement and depression, that's what they do. They, They strip away hope from your life. They don't always do it in a moment. It's sometimes slow, but it's dangerous, and it's really happening. She goes on. The future is dark and bleak. The silence and isolation is deafening. Ever been there? Ever had that moment where everything felt that dark, that bleak, just suffocating with the stress or the fear or the anxiety? She goes on, there seems to be no end in sight, but the gospel gives hope. And this is what she says. Because Jesus overcame the world and conquered sin and death, I know he can resurrect hope in a heart filled with despair. Own that. Goodness gracious, own that. 
Are you empty today? Do you feel like your hope needs to be resurrected? Are you discouraged? Are you down? Do you feel bleak and frustrated or angry or apathetic or arrogant or or whatever else is just pulling you away from having hope and joy? Do you need your hope resurrected today? If so, then please remember that there is an empty Please remember that tomorrow morning or this afternoon when when you're begging or praying for God to do something, remember what God has done. If you need your hope resurrected, if you need your emptiness filled up, if you need your despair and your discouragement and your anger and your frustration taken away, even if just for a few moments, you will find that in what God has done. you need your hope resurrected? And turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn to what God has done. For He is risen. He is risen.